Thank you, Pastor Van Gelderen. It's a blessing to be here. It's always a blessing to come to the Holiness Con- the Victory Conference. We get blessed each time. God stirs our heart and challenges us at some point in it. Now, this morning, before we even start, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10. I have had a great conundrum answered for me. Have you ever wondered what happens when Christians on both sides of something pray for opposite things? you got a football game. you got Christians on one side praying for one side to win, and you got Christians on the other side praying for the other side to win. Well, I've had the question answered for me this morning. Brother Stephen, when he was up here, he said that you people from the south were praying that there would be snow up here, and you people up here in the north were praying that there would be no snow. Well, there is snow. It's just in Ireland. (laughs) We are going to get the greatest snowstorm in 38 years starting this afternoon. We're going to get at least 10 inches of snow, they're saying, and it's just just going to snow from now until Friday. And um, so, listen, you've got to be less reckless about your prayer. (laughs) You need to tell God where to put the snow. Don't just tell him, send it somewhere else. (laughs) Oh, this is on a more serious note, I will forgive you both, both sides, if you do this. If you pray that the power doesn't go at our house. Hannah and Beth are looking after Granny. Granny is 90 years old, and everything will be fine as long as the power stays. But if the power goes to the house, they're going to have a real problem. So do pray uh, that the power won't go. I think God will give us that, all right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Looking at a passage of Scripture that I really hadn't spent much time studying. And Brother, John, Brother Jim asked me to <clears throat> choose from two passages, and I really felt the urging of the Spirit to actually choose this passage. And I have been greatly blessed. Any of you who preach, you know that the preparation is always a greater blessing uh, than you can ever give to a people. But I've been greatly blessed as I've looked at this passage of Scripture. See, the cross changes everything. Absolutely everything. I, don't, I, I think it will only be in glory that we understand the full impact of the cross uh, on everything that's happened in our world. Uh, we have a new relationship. John chapter 15 talks about a new relationship with the Lord. And doesn't it just stir your heart every time you hear about that abiding relationship? Every believer is drawn to it, drawn to the sweetness of that new relationship. It's only possible because of the cross. We have the Spirit coming down, possible because of the cross. We have Romans chapter 6, a new power over sin. We're no longer uh, the slaves of sin. Its power has been broken for us. We don't have to live uh, with sin in our lives. Galatians 2.20 talks about a a new power within me, a a new life. Bob talks about a new creature. And um, what we've got, all these wonderful things have come to us because of the cross. Right now we're going to look at this fact. We can enter in boldly to the Holy of Holies because of the cross. Now, at first thought, you've heard that before. That doesn't kind of strike you as being all that important. But do you know that's a fundamental importance to our lives? We can enter boldly into the throne of grace. You know, so much of Scripture has this thought in it. God is protecting himself or perhaps protecting man from coming into his holiness or he'll destroy them. We see in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned, and after they'd sinned, they were put out and the flaming swords were put to guard the garden so that they couldn't go back in. God said, put them out. He put them away from himself. We see Moses going up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and God tells him, Make a cordon around the bottom of the mountain. Do not let them come near it. If they come near it, I will kill them. 
And then Moses goes up the mountain and God sends them back down again. Listen, go back down and make sure they don't come in. Because if they come in, I will kill them. <clears throat> because of, uh, we see the, uh, the, the story of the men at Beth Shemesh, they died for looking into the Ark of the Covenant. We see Uzzah, a good man as far as we know, and doing David's bidding, we see him dying because he dared to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And so often what we see in Scripture, we see God saying, stay back because of your sin, because I will do damage if you come near me. And then we come to this glorious passage in Hebrews. And we find God turning it totally around. It changes completely. It is a fundamental change in God's dealing with man. Let's read the passage. It's in your book there for you. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And the tearing of the veil represents to us a picture of the greatest spiritual change the world has ever known. Before that, all the people in the world, only a Jew, and of all the Jews, only the high priest, and that only once each year was permitted to come into the presence of God. One man, once in a year, for the people, and that was all. But because the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, what God has said is, come, come. My, my son Ori went through this message for me, and he said, you know, Dad, what you should have called it is you should have called, called it, come in, the door is open. <laughs> and you know, that's what God says to us. He says, come, the door is open. All of a sudden, it's all changed. Everything is different. We no longer have to fear. We can come into his presence Page 42. By the way, we're going to skim through the notes because I realized when I got here how many notes I'd given. And I think they're great. They're helpful to you. But if, if, if we spend all the time it would take to go through all the notes, what's going to happen is uh, you're going to be late for lunch. Now, if I was bumping Brother Jim's session, he's kind and generous and he would say, that's okay. But if I stop you from getting to your lunch, that would be a different thing altogether. So we're going to skim, we're going to skim through the notes. We're going to, uh, but listen, there's great stuff in here, great quotes uh, that will be a help to you. Uh, Matthew 7, 27, 51 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Andrew Murray says, Oh, the blessedness of a life in the holiness. And by the way, we're talking about a life in the holiness. We're not talking about you going in for your devotions in the morning and coming out again. We're talking about you living in the holiest. We're talking about you living in that place. That's what he's inviting you into. He's not, he's not giving you the opportunity once a year to go in. He's inviting you in to dwell there. But Marie says, Here the Father's face is seen and his love tasted. Here his holiness is revealed and the soul made partaker of it. Here the sacrifice of love and worship and adoration, the incense of prayer and supplication is offered in power. Folks, you know the problem for us in our prayer lives? We hang outside, away from the holiest, 
uh, away from the Father, though we've been invited in. And, and, and we throw a prayer sometimes like a slot machine. We just, we just hope that we get the right combination of things and, and we actually get what we're looking for. But God invites us to come in to the holiest and to ask him. And you know, when you're there in the presence of the Father, that's where prayer gets answered. That's where we have God answer prayer. Um, here the outpouring of the Spirit is known as an ever-streaming, overflowing river from under the throne of God and the Lamb. Here the soul in God's presence grows into more complete oneness with Christ. You know, <clears throat> our relationship with God is a growing relationship. And here's what you and I are likely to do with this. So we'll talk about this as we go. We're likely to say, well, you know what? When I finally got to the place where I've got all of it organized and sorted, then I'll be ready to go into the holiest of holies. But that's just like this, you saying before you get saved, when I get my life sorted out, then I'll get saved. No, it's, he's not waiting for you to get it all sorted out. He knows you too well for that. He's inviting you in so that you can grow in that relationship with him. And he sorts you out. He changes you. And more entire conformity to his likeness. Here in union with Christ, in his unceasing intercession, we are emboldened to take our place as intercessors who can have power with God and prevail. That's what we're here about this week. We're looking at being emboldened to be intercessors. Well, if we're going to be emboldened to be intercessors, we need to come to the place where we're actually able to spend time in the holiest of holies. Uh, <clears throat> the bottom, bottom of the page there, we have read of a man's father or friends purchasing and furnishing a house for a birthday or a wedding gift. They bring him there and handing the keys say to him, this is now your house. Child of God, the Father opens unto thee the holiest of all and says, now be thy home. What shall our answer be? And <clears throat> the reality for you and I is there's an answer to be made to it. So many of the things that God has given us are ours for the taking. But they've got to be taken. They've got to be received. They've got to be actually taken. Murray's right. Uh, The place to live and to pray and to worship and to get all that we need and then go out with heaven in our hearts to bring this message to a needy world. That's where we need to be. So number one there is boldness to enter in to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Not like the Old Testament Jew with great fear through the high priest. See, there's great fear attached to this whole idea of going into the holies of holies. In fact, there was this wonderful awe and there was wonderful fear attached to it at the same time. See, the high priest would go in once a year, but if he wasn't right with God, there was always the fear that he would never come out again. So they would tie a rope to his foot, and he would have bells so that they knew if he fell over, somebody would pull him out. Because there was always that fear. Uh, they say, and I, I, I couldn't verify this, but they say that there were certain years when there would be many high priests because they would die in there. And people were always willing to take it on uh, because they would get the privilege of going into the presence of the Lord. And <clears throat> the Old Testament Jew went in with fear, but God doesn't want you and I going in with fear. All that has changed. Uh, If any man had attempted to enter there, he must have died as guilty of a great presumption and profane intrusion into the secret place of the Most High. Who could stand in the presence of him who is a consuming fire? But we don't have to go in with fear. In fact, 
We're told to go in boldly. We're to enter in boldly. Uh, And boldly literally means uh, all speech or speaking all things and thereby converts the idea of freedom to say all. We are to go into his presence with a freedom to say all. You know, all relationships are not equal in our lives. You have some people who you'll divulge a little bit of your heart to. You have others that you will divulge more of your heart to. And you, then you have others that you will maybe divulge a lot of your heart to. Rarely do you find somebody that you will give all your heart to. But when you're invited into the holiest of holies, you're asked to come boldly in and lay it all out there. You're asked to come boldly in and to tell God all that's on your heart. You're asked to come boldly in and to talk about your needs, your burdens, your brokenness, your issues, your difficulties. He asks you to come in and to tell him about all that. We can speak our hearts without fear of rejection. Do you realize what that would have meant if we could have sat down uh, with a high priest from the Old Testament and explained to him what we have? He would have had a hard time believing it were possible. He would want to know how could it all be changed so completely, so thoroughly. Uh, we can have freedom of speech where the, when the, our words can flow freely in it. Now, how is this confidence possible? How is it possible for us to have confidence that we can go in boldly into the throne of grace? You know, you might say to me, you might say, well... Uh, I, th- I think I would have to be good enough to do it. And that, that's probably in a lot of our minds. That I would have to be good enough to enter into the holy of holies. But it's not by merit. It's not even by the power of our prayer. It's <clears throat> not by the length or the fervency of our prayers. You know, <clears throat> we go in there on the basis of the blood. It's the blood. It's just the blood. It's nothing else other than the blood. We must always remember that the blood alone gives any right to enter. Trusting anything of self will bar us. You see, we've got to come to the place where I know, listen, I'm nothing. That's the truth. I don't have any right to go in there. But on the basis of the blood of Jesus, I can go in there. On the basis of the blood of Jesus, I can go into that personal, up-close relationship with God. Winslow says this. He says, in all true prayer, great stress should be laid on the blood of Jesus. Perhaps no evidence distinguishes a declension in the power and spirituality of prayer more strongly than an overlooking of this, where the atoning blood is kept out of view, not recognized, not pleaded, not made the grand plea, there is a deficiency of power in prayer. You know, when we look back at the Old Testament Jew, there's, 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 there's a, a, a definite problem for us in that we can think we're better than the Old Testament Jew. But you know, it's not because we're better than him. It's because the blood of Jesus has opened the way. It's not because we've somehow attained unto it and they, poor souls, uh, never did. No, it's because the blood of Jesus has opened the way for us. You know, that's humbling. That is humbling. I can go into the Holy of Holies, not based on any merit of David O'Gorman, but I can go into the Holy of Holies based upon the blood of the Lamb. 
Andrew Murray says, uh, God points you to it and asks you to believe in the divine satisfaction it gives him, in its omnipotent en- energy, in its everlasting sufficiency. Oh, will you not this day believe that the blood gives you, s- sinful and feeble as you are, liberty, confidence, boldness to draw nigh to enter the very holiest? Yes, believe it, that the blood and the blood alone brings you into the very presence, into the living and abiding fellowship of the everlasting God. And let your response to God's message concerning the blood and the boldness it gives you be nothing less than this, that this very moment you go with the utmost confidence and take your place in the most infinite fellowship with God. And if your heart condemn you, if coldness or unbelief appear to make a real entrance impossible, rest not till you believe and prove to the full power of the blood indeed to bring you nigh, having boldness by the blood of Jesus. What then? Let us draw nigh. Now, what he's saying to us there is, listen, you and I need to enter in. Not at some time in the future. Not when we've read a half a dozen books. Not at the end of the uh, Victory Conference. You know, not, not when we've gotten all the things right in our lives. But we need to enter in today. It's going to be a prayer meeting later on. You know, the power of prayer is going to be the, to those who enter in. And everybody in this room who's born again by faith in Jesus Christ can enter in. The invitation is for all. The invitation is for us to enter in. And you say, but i got problems, i got issues. We'll talk about that. Listen, holiness is an issue and will always be an issue. But it's the blood that makes us holy. We don't make ourselves holy. We don't get ourselves together. We don't somehow pull ourselves together and finally get to the place where we're ready to go into the Holy of Holies. It's the blood that does the work. So you see, today you're not looking at where you are right now. You're looking at what Jesus did back then and the blood that is omnipotent and its power is everlasting and it doesn't quit. And you can enter into the Holy of Holies. Now he says, by a new and living way, on page 45, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Imagine with me for a second the uh, Old Testament priests who were uh, working in the temple on that day. And Jesus, the troublemaker, was going to the cross. And they were probably happy about that because he had caused enough trouble for everybody. And, and it was over now. It was finished because, you know, they'd, take, they'd carted him off and he was gone. He was out of the picture and they could get on uh, with business as usual. And so they're there. They're working in the temple. They're making sure the showbread is right and those things are, uh, everything is ready in the temple. And all of a sudden, everything goes dark. And then there's an earthquake. And then they watch and the veil Now, the veil was 60 feet high, it was 30 feet wide, and they say it was a hand's breadth, about four inches in thickness. If it fell on you, it would no doubt kill you. It was was a big... The veil begins to tear from the top to the bottom. Now, what do you do? You've been taught all your life, you can't look at what's in there. You know the stories about the people that have and have died. You, you've heard stories about high priests that, that, that have died. What do you do? Well, you try and patch it together again, don't you? That's kind of a big job. You try and put it back together. You try and, you know, sew it or patch it or do something with it and try and get it back up there again because you've lived all your life with this veil. And those poor guys would have tried to keep it going. But you know what Jesus had done? He'd done something new. It was a new and living way. It was a way they couldn't conceive of. They couldn't even think of. They couldn't imagine 
what was going on now, uh, uh, that, that the veil had been rent, that they, they would have tried to, to, to do all they could. You know, I think sometimes we live halfway between the Old Testament and the New Testament in our theology, don't we? Now, there's a theology in your head, and there's a theology in your Bible, and there's the theology that you live. And I think sometimes we live like those poor men, uh, still thinking there's a barrier between us and God. Still thinking there's an issue. Still thinking there's a problem. There's a difficult. There's a difficulty. Uh, you know, we can still fear God in the way they did. But God has told you to come boldly into the Holy of Holies. God's changed the whole thing. It's not based on you. It's not based on me. It's based upon what he did in his son. It's based upon that blood. We We need to understand. Listen, what God has done is he has changed fundamentally how we relate to him. I think so often we get locked into the issue of, well, I'm not good enough. We get locked into the issue of, well, I've got to clean my act up. We get, we get locked into the issue of, well, well when I'm better, and then I can be really spiritual. But we come to Victory Conference and we think, well, you know what, I'm going to get zapped with something and I'm going to get better uh, at Victory Conference and, and I'll be able to do better in my relationship with God. And we forget, to, we fail to understand, no, you know what he's done? He's made a new and living way. Look at Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What's he saying there? By the way, he's talking about you walking not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Where's your heart today? What is it that you really want today? What is it that you desire today? What is it that you're willing to sacrifice for today? You see, if your heart is to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh, you know what? There's no condemnation to you. God is in it. God is working in the situation. It's not about what you do or what you can do. Uh, It's about what God has done. For the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Catch the thought there. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Words have meaning. That's not me fulfilling the righteousness of the law. You see, the Old Testament Jew, the, the, the priest who was in the temple doing the work, he, he was, he was honor-bound to keep the law, to, to work the law, to do the law, because that, 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 that was his focus. And, and he was always failing if he was honest and he knew it. And he, and he was looking forward to what God was going to do and how God was going to fix his problem because he couldn't fix his own problem. And he was looking forward. He, didn't, he, he couldn't have put it as clearly as we can. He was looking forward to Jesus on the cross. But he, but he was waiting for that uh, to cleanse him. But he, he was always trying and always failing. And, 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 he, and he lived in this relationship with God that was fraught with tension because he was never good enough. But when the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, all that changed. All that changed. Here's, here's what I think. I think God gave up on man <clears throat> when he sent Jesus. In this sense. He gave up on hoping that man would make it happen or become good enough and do it. And he said, I'll send my son to do it all for them. Because he knew. He knew we couldn't do it. He knew we weren't able. He knew it wasn't in us. 
We didn't have the ability to clean up our acts and sort ourselves out and get, get going in the right direction. We said, what I'll do is I'll send my son. My son will do it for them. Not only did he save us from an eternity separated from God, but he fixed us. He sorted our problem. But you see, here's the problem for us. The problem for us is this, that so often what we do is we hark back to the law. We hark back to the rule, and we, 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 we're, we're looking at the rule, and we're failing to keep the rule. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. What's the answer to sin in your life? Is the answer to sin in your life a rule book that tells you what to do? Or is the answer to sin in your life a relationship, walking with the Spirit? See, this is part of what we're talking about here. We're talking about coming to the place where we're living in the Holy of Holies, living in that sweet relationship with Him that we don't want sin. Why, why would you want sin if you can live with him, if you can enjoy him? But you know, if you wait until you've gotten it all together, if you start trying to do it, it's never going to happen for you. You're not able to do it. See, it's a new and living way. I feel for those poor priests. I feel for the Old Testament Jew. I mean, what God did was totally outside the realm of their understanding at all. And, and he, was go, he was going to go on and do other absolutely impossible things to their thinking. Do you know he was going to save Gentile dogs? <laughs> that's, what, that's what he was going to do. He was, and they, they couldn't get their heads around that at all. He was their God. I think in some in their minds, uh, he was behind the veil, and you know they couldn't go in there because he was in there, but he couldn't get out either. Uh, but you know the reality is he was always out, but I'm telling you, when the veil came down, he did a new thing, and he was going to reach people with a gospel that they couldn't even imagine. And that's his plan. By the way, we pray for revival. And I think we need to pray for revival because I think the only hope for our world is revival. But understand this. Sometimes I think we pray for revival thinking we know what we're praying for. And we don't know what we're praying for. Because when God brings revival, he's going to do what he's going to do. And if you look at the history of revival, he never does the same thing twice. You know, you look back, and then don't you like to look back at the revival? You look back at the, 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 the Welsh revival with Evan Roberts. And we say, well, God's going to do it that way. That's what's going to happen. But then he did a different thing on Lewis. And he did a different thing in 1859. And, you know, when it comes to revival, we have to recognize God's free to do whatever he likes in this thing. And we need to be aware that what God's going to do is what God's going to do. We can't put him in a box. The Old Testament Jew couldn't put him in a box, and neither can we. God's going to do what God's going to do. Uh, I'm reminded of Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray uh, <coughs> prayed for a revival all his life. His father prayed for a revival all his life. And then he arrived at church one evening, and uh, all the youth were, were praying, and they were all praying together, and it was chaotic, and it was confusion. And he went through that prayer meeting saying, Stop. God is not the author of confusion. Stop. And a stranger stood at the door and said to him, Be very careful what you do. I have seen this before. God is in this just let it go. And he did. But you know what? We need to understand that God does a new thing. And God will take and God will bring revival, but God will do it in his own way. And we won't be the authors of it. We'll be the people that have to let him do what he's going to do by a new and living way. Skip over with me to page uh, 47. <clears throat> The bottom of the page on page 47. The new and living way is the way of death for Jesus and for us. Now, how does that work? 
Here's, here's the reality. Uh, you and I want to enter into the Holy of Holies. We want to have the power of God in our lives. We want to see God do great things. Do you know that in order for us to see God do great things, we've got to let him do what he wants to do. And we've got to stand back and let him do. John 12, 23 through 26, and Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. So we've got to give up on our pride. We've got to give up on our self-righteousness. We've got to give up on our right to our own life. And we've got to enter into his. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about you and I entering into the Holy of Holies. You see, we have this idea that we're going to enter into the Holy of Holies and we're going to, you know, ask him for all the things that we want. I don't think that's what happens in the Holy of Holies. I think you go into the Holy of Holies and all of a sudden you're taken up with what he wants. Remember the story in Isaiah chapter 6 of Isaiah? Isaiah is actually brought, an Old Testament picture, he's brought into the Holy of Holies. He's brought into the place uh, where the Lord sits high and lifted up. And the first thing we notice with Isaiah, that when he's brought in there, he realizes, oh my goodness, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. That's the first thing he realizes. Now, the first five chapters, he's been, you know, saying, woe on everybody else. But all of a sudden, when it comes to him actually seeing God, he realizes himself. You know what Isaiah doesn't do? I say it doesn't. They say, excuse me, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to go and get my act together, and then I'm going to come back. No, you know what? As soon as he realizes he has a problem, the Lord sends an angel to take a coal from the altar, and he fixes him. And you know what happens to Isaiah? God says, who will go for me? And I says, me, me, please. I'll go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. <clears throat> he's in. I mean, he gets a horrible commission, but he's in. He's all in. He, he, he wants it. You see, when it comes to us entering into the Holy of Holies, it's not about you and I getting what we want. It's about us getting Him and Him getting what He wants. That's what the Holy of Holies is about. It's not about us getting what we want, getting, getting to do the things that, that we do, we want to do. It's about Him. And in order for that to happen, we've got to give up on ourselves. You know, you can't live the self-life in the Holy of Holies. You can't. It's got to be his life through you. It's got to be you surrendering your life to him. But isn't that what you want? What could be more attractive to the child of God than the sweet joy of that fellowship with him? What could be more attractive to us than, than that abiding relationship? Doesn't it just put goosebumps up and down your back when you think of it, just that, that abiding relationship? Those moments that you spend with him when you know it's you and him, and he and you. Aren't, aren't they the moments of your life? Aren't they the very... Listen, that's what he's calling us to. But in order for us to have it, we have to put self aside and enter his. Then, number three there says, and having an high priest over the house of God. What's Jesus doing now in the context of what we're talking about here? Murray says this, he says... His one work as priest over the house of God is to bring us into it and enable us to live there. He does this, does this by bringing God and the soul into actual harmony, sympathy, and fellowship with each other. 
understand this. Holiness is an issue. God is holy, so holy that you and I, in our flesh at least, can't imagine his holiness. And, and God will only fellowship with us as we're holy. The problem for us is we're not able. And we have to admit that. We have to be honest about that. We're not able. You know, we can clean up our act. We can sort things out. We can get things better. And, but we can't be as holy as he is. That's why Jesus had to come. Listen, if there was a law that could make men right, it was the Old Testament law. It was a good law. The problem is that it was weak through the flesh. We couldn't keep it. So when it comes to us being holy, what we've got is we've got a high priest who brings us in to the holiest and draws us out and brings us into sympathy and harmony and fellowship uh, with us and him. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what he wants to do in your life. Look at Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16 there. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And there's a double negative there. Let me put it this way for you. We have a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. See, you come to Victory Conference and you come hoping to get something that's going to make you better, that's going to help you do a better job in ministry, that's going to make you a better Christian, that's maybe going to rid you of some addiction in your life, that's going to uh, fix some problem in your life. You come hoping that you, you can get something that, that will do it. <clears throat> and you know what? It won't. There's a person that does that. There's a person that does that. There's, there's, there's the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and you say, but he wouldn't listen to me. <clears throat> he wouldn't listen to me. We, <clears throat> our addictions ministry, I mean, it's a wonderful slice of, <clears throat> of ministry, of life. You get people, and they'll tell you openly. <clears throat> One guy told me, he said, listen, everything that's possible to do wrong, I've done at least twice. <clears throat> you know, like, that poor guy hasn't got his hope, has he? Not in his flesh. But there's a high priest that knows what he feels like. Do you know the cure for addiction is in the Holy of Holies? It is. I mean, <clears throat> I'm not sure many people are promoting it as such, but that's where the cure for addiction is. You know, the cure for sin is in the Holy of Holies. <clears throat> the high priest taking you into the Holy of Holies, that's where the cure is. Do you know, do you know the cure for the issues in your life? They're, they're found in the Holy of Holies. And there's a high priest that wants to take you in. And he knows what it feels like to be you. He knows what it feels like to face the problems you're facing. He can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. So you may say, but, but I feel hopeless. Yeah, that's okay. Just, just come anyway. You might say, well, I, I don't think I'm worthy. You're not. None of us are. But just come anyway. Because you have a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. And he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, the one thing that will keep you out of the Holy of Holies is pride. You see, when you come to the high priest, you're coming for mercy. And we need to remember that. You see, God gives grace to the merciful, but he resists the proud. So when I come to the high priest, I'm not coming based on my own righteousness. And, you know, listen, I deserve to go in there. If I come that way, oh, listen, the door's barred to me. Because God's economy is an economy of mercy. 
He deals with the humble and the broken. Uh, <clears throat> broken in a contrite spirit, God will not deny. He deals with humble, broken people. You see, so you may come today and you say, but I don't deserve it. Oh, listen, you're just in the right place. You know, one of the reasons I love working with the addicts, you'd never have to convince an addict that they're a sinner. You, you just never do. They know. Their heads go down. They know. <clears throat> they know they're, they're a sinner. You, <clears throat> they but you know what? For the rest of us, then we have this hard outer shell sometimes. We want to be good. We try to be good. We try to live right. And we want everybody else definitely to think we're good. And even if we're failing, we want everybody else to think we're good. And our pride can stand between us and entering into that place. Oh, listen, you come for mercy. Lord, mercy, I, I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough and I'll never be. I'm no, I'm no better than the Old Testament Jew. I'm in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Without me, you can do nothing. I need to understand, you know, I've got nothing to offer here, but I'm coming anyway, Lord. And the high priest helps you. He understands. But you've got to come for mercy. <clears throat> See, it's all too easy to talk mercy, but to live merit, isn't it? We're very meritorious creatures, just in our nature. You know, <clears throat> our culture is all about merit. You're supposed to get what you deserve in our culture. It's not true even in culture, but you know, it's, it's all about merit. Right? And when it comes to our relationship with God, we, we can so easily get into this area of merit. No, I'm never going to merit it. You and I are going to, you and I are going to sit in heaven through the ages, and we're going to cry from time to time, I think, or, or at least just be amazed with the reality of I'm here. How did I get to be here? How did I get to, look at all the cost to get me. Why did he bother with me? I think we're going, we're going to live in glory and we're going to remember all, all that it cost to, uh, to save us. And <clears throat> we're going to be amazed at, at what he did. You see, <clears throat> some of you today are hanging on outside. Oh yeah, you've come, you're here, you're at the Victory Conference. And you know what, if somebody would zap you with something, you'd be so glad and so excited. But you're not going to get zapped with something. You've got an invitation. He says, come. Come into the Holy of Holies. Come with your brokenness. Come with your emptiness. Come with your failure. But come. Come to him. <clears throat> he can help you. Um, <clears throat> and then he says, Let us draw nigh with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. First of all, it's a gracious invitation. Spurgeon said this, he said, The precept to keep back is abrogated, and the invitation is, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened. Let us draw near, is now the filial spirit of the gospel. How thankful I am for this. What a joy it is to my soul. Some of God's people have not yet realized this gracious fact, for they still worship afar off. Is that you today? You're worshiping afar off? Is that you and your, 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 your spiritual life? Oh, yeah, you know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven. But your spiritual life is a burden to you. Your devotional life is, oh, it's, you do it, but it's work. You know, <clears throat> you, know you go to church. You, you, you maybe even do ministry. Maybe even you're a preacher here today. And you're finding your, your, your spiritual life is just hard and tough. He says, Come. Come, gracious invitation. 
Don't wait. Come. Then he says, with a true heart. Now, when he talks about heart, he he talks about a key issue for us. Um, A true heart is one that is sincere, that has integrity, a heart that is all in for God. God does not ask you to earn a place in the holies, but to earnestly desire above all else, our great high priest will do the rest. You see, there's only one question. It's not, are you good enough? And it's not, would you, uh, would he accept you? The question is this, do you want it? You say, that's very simple. It's that simple. Do you want it? Now, when it comes to wanting it, uh, he's going to put some pressure on you. He's going to ask you how much you want it. You know that Jesus was probably the only preacher that's ever done this. But he took the crowd, and the crowd was getting too big, and in Luke chapter 14, he he started thinning the crowd purposefully. And he started saying things like to them, listen, if you don't do this, just go on home. There's no point in you following me anymore. And if you don't do this, just go on home. What did he say? Listen, if I'm not more important to you than any other person, then go on home. You can't follow me. If you won't take up your cross, if if I'm not more important to you than any of your dreams, go on home. There's no point in you following me. If I'm not more important to you than anything, look, there's no point. Now you say, hang on a minute, you said it was easy, and now you're making it very hard. No, here's what I'm saying to you. If you want it, if you will come to him and say, Lord, I want it. I want in. I want to live that life. I want to abide. I want to dwell in the Holy of Holies. The high priest will do the rest. He'll bring you in. He'll bring you in. The thing for us is that we hang outside because there are things outside that we kind of like. And you know what we're doing? We're making those things more important than he is. Now think about it. It's very simple. Somebody said it's always a love problem. I think it is, isn't it? It's always a love problem. It's always, what do we love most? Do I love myself most? Do I love my things most? Do I love my relationships most? Or do I, do I love him most? You know, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. I mean, that's a lot of love. That's you putting him first, making him number one. And he said, I'm not able. But if you want it, and you come, he will enable you. But understand what you're getting into. Understand that what you're getting into is he's going to actually make himself the center of your life. But isn't that what you want? I love what Steve Carrington said. Steve Carrington would say to the addicts, he would say, listen, you don't need to have willpower. You just need to have will. If you have the will, he has the power. And that's what it's, that's what it's saying to us. Are you willing are you willing to enter into the Holy of Holies? Are you willing to come into that place? Um, are you willing to make him number one in your life? An interesting episode in David's life. When, da- when David sins with Bathsheba and murders her husband, I mean, it's, just, it's one of the lowest, vilest times of his life. And you read that story from our perspective and you go, oh man, he committed adultery and then he committed murder. Oh, that's just so horrible, so low. And then God starts dealing with David. And God starts going after David. And you know God's problem with David? God's problem with David is this. David, I gave you everything. And if you had wanted more, I would have given you that too. 
Why did you take and do something I didn't want you doing? And you know I didn't, you know I didn't want you doing it. What was David's problem? David's problem was this. He didn't trust God to take care of him. And you know, sometimes we don't trust God to take care of us. And when you don't trust God to take care of you, you're hardly likely to put yourself at his mercy. But what foolishness that is. Even in David's life, how much had God given him? How much had God taken care of him? How how, how many blessings had God given in his life? Let me ask you this. How many blessings has God brought into your life? Well, you you might have some problems in your life. I, I don't doubt that you do. That's, that's par for the course. But how much blessing has God brought into your life? How many times has God stepped into your life just in that moment and bailed you out and helped you? How many times has he, has he healed you? Has he taken care of you? Has he answered your prayer? Has he done what you needed him to do? And yet there are those times when we say, well, you know what? I'm going to do this anyway. He's not given me enough. Maybe you say this morning, my spouse, my spouse is the problem. My spouse is an issue. My, my spouse was a better spouse. I'd be a better wife. I'd be a better husband. And I'd be more successful in, in ministry. Let me ask you do, you, do you think that God knows about your home situation? Do you think God knows what's going on in your home? Do you think God is surprised at the problems you have in your home? Or do you think God has allowed those problems into your life because that's what you need? That's a hard one to bite the bullet on. But you know what? He knows what we need. Maybe your job situation is not what you want it to be. And you feel grieved and you're ready to do something that is wrong because you're... Don't you think that God knows what you need in your life? Don't you think the difficult situations in your life are not by accident? Don't you think that your Heavenly Father knows what's best in your life and He's planning great things for you here and in eternity and He says, you know what, this is going to be good for you. This is going to help you right now. Don't you think that God knows best? You see, here's the thing. We've got to come to the place where we trust Him. But you're not going to trust Him for great things if you don't trust Him for right now. Trust Him. He got it right. And by the way, you know what? When you trust Him with the difficult situation, the difficult situation always gets easier. It doesn't necessarily go away, but it always gets easier. When you look into his face and say, Lord, this is of you, and I accept it as from you, it gets easier. You see, David went against God, did his own thing, and so often that's what we do. And we reserve the right to do that, so we don't want to get too close to him. You see, it's not a problem of, I can't get over sin. It's a problem of, I love having my own way. And I don't want him interfering with that. And listen, that's foolishness. Isn't it? Isn't that foolishness, having your own way and missing out on what we're talking about here? Notice this, though. When David gets right with God, David does not say, okay, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to make myself right. I'm going to fix the situation. No, David says, thou desires truth in the inward parts. And David says, cleanse me, wash me. You know, there's an issue between you and God today where you're not giving in to him and you're not yielding and letting him have his way. You need to say, Lord, wash me. You need to come. 
And let him wash you. You need to come and let him change. You see, your heart is the issue. What you want is the issue. What you want is going to either bar the door for you or going to let you in. <clears throat> he says, uh, next page there, uh, a sincere heart is one that has undergone supernatural circumcision. You see, <clears throat> here's, what I, here's what I have to do if I want to be in the Holy of Holies, if I want to be in that abiding life, if I want to be in that not I but Christ life. I ought to want it. I gotta set my heart so I want it. I gotta decide, I, I gotta make a decision that I want. Now listen, I may fall out of it again. That's, that's pretty human. But you know, the reality is I'll come back into it again. Isn't, isn't it always the heart that God has a problem with? You know, with the nation of Israel, hard hearts. Their uh, lips honor me, but their hearts are far from me. Hit the heart. God wants a true heart. God, if you're going to come into the Holy of Holies today, God wants you to say, okay, I want it. I want this above all else. I want you above all else. I'm not able. I'm not clean enough. I'm not holy enough. I can't be, but I want this. He'll do the rest. It's that decision in your heart that says, Lord, I want you above all else. Oh, listen, that, that's an essential. You see, relationship is the real, deep, <clears throat> that is real and deep and rich is the only way to keep someone from sin. So when you come into the Holy of Holies and you enter into this relationship with Him, this love relationship with Him, it's that relationship that keeps you from sin. It's that sweet thing between you and Him that keeps you right and keeps you from sin. And that's the only way to keep someone from sin. You know... <clears throat> Um, you can try all you like. It won't work. But when you come to that place, let me ask you then, how is your heart? Do you want him above all else? Is that really what you want? He's saying come. But come with a true heart. Not come with a perfect heart in the sense that everything is sorted out and right, but come with a true heart. Come with a heart that says, I want you. I want this. This is what I want. This is my life. And then he says, with full assurance of faith. And again, it's not merit. It's the full assurance of faith. Um, <clears throat> I love what Vernon McGee says uh, there, number two. He says, faith is, faith, faith is trusting God, trusting in his word and his goodness. And then McGee says this. He says, full assurance is an interesting expression. It literally means to be under full sail. It means that believers should be moving along spiritually. They should be moving along for God. Full assurance. You know, when it comes to the place where you, where, you, where, where you come and you say, this is what I want. I'm willing to put everything else to one side. I'm willing to make you number one. I'm willing to <clears throat> put anything else out of my life that you don't want in my life. And you come with full assurance of faith. You know what happens? Your spiritual life takes off. It's miraculous. It was always intended to be Miraculous. Because we're no better than the Old Testament Jew who struggled and strove and sought to do his best. But when God steps in, a miracle happens. When the, ray, when the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, a miracle happened. And God began to work in our lives. <clears throat> and God did a work. That means we can sail. We can, <clears throat> we can flow. We can move. <clears throat> you see... And then we need to have on page 54 our conscience sprinkle, our, our heart sprinkle from an evil conscience. What does that mean, our heart sprinkle from an evil conscience? 
Well, your conscience is that part of you that tells you what's right and what's wrong. But it can be faulty. It can be a seared conscience. It can be a hard conscience. It can be... Uh, you can have all kinds of consciences. You can have a sensitive conscience. So, so what does a, a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience mean? It means that he applies the blood to your conscience and he straightens it out and makes it right. You see, you and I come with all kinds of preconceived notions of who God is and what God expects of us. But you know what? We need that, straight, that part of us straightened out. We need to come to the place, we need to let him have that, do that work in our lives where uh, our conscience is right. Be careful of your conscience. If you're not careful of your conscience, what you'll find is you'll find that you can damage it. And it's kind of like the rudder of your life. It'll put you in the wrong direction. But if you'll let him, if you'll let the blood and if you let it be sprinkled with the blood, the blood will cleanse your conscience. And then he says, hold fast. And if you skip over with me to page 57. We're to hold fast the profession of our faith. We're to hold fast to our hope. And then in verse uh, number 6, the results of living in the holiest place. First one there, prayer is answered. Here's what happens when you're in the holiest place. You go into the holy place, and even though he says, come without fear, you know, the the truth is you're kind of a, you know what's going to happen. And Jesus brings you into the holy place, and you go in with your head low, and you're afraid to look, and, and the Father lifts down and picks you up, and he takes you on his lap. And he says to you, what was it that you wanted? And and I think we probably forget what we wanted at that point. Because I think when you're that close to him, you've got what you want. All the rest of the things that you want pale by comparison to that. You've got what you want at that point. And that's the place where you can ask him for anything and you've got it. But you know the things you're going to ask are going to be about the relationship with him. You're going to go out from that place and you're going to ask him for things that matter to him. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask me what you will and it shall be done unto you. But you know the truth and everybody that's been in in that place knows this. The truth of it is that the things you need but never even get around to asking for, he'll just give you anyway. Because you know our God's very generous. He's, <clears throat> our God is, is, is extravagant and, and generous and he always takes care of us. But you know, the holiest of holies is not about me getting what I want. The holy of holies is about me doing what he wants. It's about me asking and him doing. See, in the holy of holies, <clears throat> prayer is answered. But then sin is overcome. See, some of you are waiting to overcome sin before you come to God. Now you're saved maybe and you know it, but you, you don't feel good enough to come. And listen, where you're going to find sin overcome is in His presence. Because you see, here's how sin is overcome. Sin is overcome by something you want much more then you want sin. It's not a case of don't do this and don't do that and don't do the other. 
It's a case of, why would I want it when I can have this? See, when a young man is getting married, he, he doesn't spend nights mourning for all the girls that he'll never be able to go out with. If he does, he shouldn't be getting married, should he? <laughs> no, he's found the girl, the one, the prize. And he wants her, and the rest mean nothing to him. Do you know that when you enter into the holies and you enter into that sweet relationship with him, you don't want sin. In fact, you don't want sin because it would disturb what you have with him. You want him more than you want anything that's out there. And if you're hanging out in the shadows today, if you're hanging out outside, you know what? It's because you've made a foolish choice to think that something could be better for you than him. That's really what you're doing. And you need to make the right choice. Now I want him. And the high priest will do the rest. See there, life-giving sermons are received. Listen, I'm a preacher, a pastor, and many of you in this room are pastors and preachers too. And we produce sermons that are supposed to feed the flock of God. And you know... Sermons that are prepared in a dry study, in a dusty study, are dusty. And they'll bore people. I think, I think your dad told me that once that it was a sin to bore people. <laughs> they, they will bore people. And that's, what a shame. And you see, as a man of God, you can labor long and labor hard to have something good to say to your people. And you get it together, but it's work. And it'll wear you out. But you spend time in the holies with him, and you'll receive sermons that are sweet to your soul and feed their souls. We don't have a right to just put on them what we can learn from books. They could learn that from themselves, for themselves. That's where sermons, where life-giving sermons are received. That's where real Christianity is born. Look at Galatians 5:22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us, walk, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, real Christianity, that's what real Christianity is. That's, that's what Jesus looked like. And you know, that's not born by you breaking up that, those verses and deciding I'm going to work on this this week and I'm going to work on this next week. That's born in the Holy of Holies when you spend time with him. Moses came down from the mountain there was glow on his face. It wasn't because he had put some extra foundation or anything on. It was because he'd been with God. And everybody looking on him could see he's been with God. You know, when you spend time in the Holy of Holies, what's going to happen in your life is real Christianity is going to get born in your life. People are going to see Jesus in you. That's what they need to see. They don't need to see you and I. They need to see Jesus. And then a revival is granted. John fourteen twelve through 14 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, 
The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's where you sit with the Almighty God of the universe. And you talk with him about the needs of a world that's dying in its sin. As we meet today, that's where the power is going to come from. We can rev it up, we can do all that we can, and we should do what we can, but you know what? Apart from him doing a mighty work, we're never going to reach a generation. Ireland's never going to be reached apart from him doing a mighty work. But you know, it's a people who spend time with him in the Holy of Holies that can ask for a Bible. So where do we stand with this? We, we, we want to live the victorious life. We want to walk with him in power. We want to know his presence and we want to know the reality. We want to know all these things that we're seeing as results of it. So, so, so what about you today? Now, maybe you in all honesty could say, you know what, I do live there. I know I'm not perfect, I know I'm not wonderful, and I know it's not by my merit, but I, but I do live in that place. I, yeah, I'm not perfect. I, you know, from time to time I'll fall out, but I get back in again because I really can't live anywhere else at this point. And maybe you'd say, you know, <clears throat> I want that. I, I can sense it. I want it. But I'm not there. Well, Come. That's what he says. Come. Let us come boldly. Come. Tell him your problem. Tell him your issue. Take the Savior's hand and walk into the Holy of Holies and let God change you. Maybe you'd say this morning, you know, there's some things in my life that I'm holding on to. Oh, you're making such a foolish choice. You're making such a... What could be better than him? What could be sweeter than time spent with him? Oh, you just haven't tasted it yet. The things you're holding on to are foolishness. You say, but I'm not sure I can give them up. You can't, but he can in you. Just come. Leave them behind. Make the decision, just come. You see, there's a life for the child of God to live. It's totally different from anything. People in any other age other than this wonderful age in you. We're we're invited, we're encouraged, we're told to come boldly into the throne, onto the throne. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't live your life like it's not real, because it's real. Come. Whatever it is that's holding you back, put it aside. It doesn't matter. Come. And when we're in there, we can cry out to God. And expect great and mighty answers to prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful, glorious passage, Lord. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work it deep in our hearts? Lord, there are people in this room who think they can't because they're not good enough. Lord, they're not. But it's not based on that. It's based upon you and the wonder of your love for us and your precious, powerful blood. 
Lord, there are people that are hanging outside for different reasons. Lord, bring them in. And, oh, Lord, may it be that we all enjoy the reality of what you paid for on the cross. May it never be, Lord, that the the rent veil doesn't have its meaning and its power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.